It is so incredible to be on staff with Art. Um, he's, uh, besides not being able to hear well, which is really his only limitation, he is one of the most impressive and godly men I know. And uh, his value of being generous um, is overwhelming. It's like one of our church values, but it's really only our church value because it's Art's value. Uh, the rest of us would be like, no, we got other values, but it's so in Art um, to be generous. And you saw that with the employees and you, um, you just see it as a staff person, I see it, and I hope as a church you see that. And so I appreciate you, you bringing that. I'm just giving you a little love because I'm about to crash and burn up here, so I need, some, <laughs> I need it back. Um, and so, and even this whole idea of, this, of dangerous generosity, the series that we're in about being generous, it's just, I mean, we're following our leader, Art, who's following his, our leader, Jesus, about being generous. And uh, we're just unpacking different ways in which we can explore that this morning. So we're going to do that one more, uh, and one more caveat this morning. When I was in seminary, there's this book that uh, all young seminarians buy. It's called The Hard Sayings of Jesus. Because Jesus said some really weird stuff, right? You're going to follow me. You've got to eat my blood. I mean, eat my body. Drink my blood. And you're like, that's weird. And there's a book that tells young seminarians how to deal with the weird, hard sayings. And a lot of times people go, this Christian thing is cool, except there's some really hard sayings of Jesus. And I just don't get that. And uh, so we have this book. If it come to us, we go, oh, we got this book, and it'll tell us everything. And uh, this morning, we're going to look at one of the hard sayings of Jesus. How fun is that? So uh, what I need you to do is if you have a Bible, uh, you actually have to get it out. And we're going to look through this passage of Scripture together. And a lot of us, a lot of you are tech-savvy. You can put that other slide on. You're tech-savvy, so it's on your phone. But I know you're fakers. You're just not, you're not really looking on your phone. So at least tweet me. Send me a little tweet, hashtag faker, and then uh, get it out of your system. And then go open your Bible on your app, because I know what, that's what I would do. So have your Bible. Turn to Matthew chapter 18. Everyone needs to do this because uh, we're going to actually spend a little time going through this passage of Scripture, and I need your help. Uh, to unpack it a little bit. So I'll give you a second to get there. Matthew is in the first book of the New Testament. So if you're flipping through the Bible and you come across all these weird sounding names, keep going until you get to the nice Judeo-Christian sounding names of Matthew, Mark, Luke. Matthew is the first one. All right, Matthew, big 18, little 21. Here it goes. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began to settle, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold or 10,000 talents was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay that debt. Now at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servants fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused and instead he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said. I canceled all of the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have the same mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. And this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is the hard saying from Jesus and a word from the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father and our gracious God, I thank you for this difficult 
um, teaching this morning, and I thank you that you love us and are gracious with us, and I just pray that your spirit would continue to um, speak to us, to move us closer to you, to help us not only to understand what you're trying to say, God, but to actually put it into practice, to not just be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. For your honor and glory, amen and amen. Okay, so I'm about to break the pastor congregation compact. This is the rule for all Christians for all time and the pastor halves. We stand up here for 20 to 40 to an hour, and we talk at you, and you smile and nod or you text people. That's kind of the deal. I'm not going to bother you. You just kind of smile and nod, laugh at my joke occasionally, and I do my thing. Sometimes you're moved to tears, but usually you're texting people. Okay, but the deal is we don't interact. But I'm going to break that this morning because we together as a congregation are going to unpack the scripture. Okay, so, so this happens. Junior hires sometimes pull us off. I'm counting on you, my friends, to not to smile and help me out with this. Okay, okay. So this is what we do. You have your Bible open. Here we are. We're in Matthew 18. We're gonna start easy. All right. Who came to Jesus at first? Peter. Okay. See, we're all dining. Linda, you're my homie. Okay. So, what does Peter ask Jesus? Not, not only just to have to forgive, but forgive who? A brother who? Sister, yeah, who sinned against us. Look, we're just reading scripture. So awesome. You guys are nailing it. So simple. Good. Okay, so when you're going through scripture and you're reading through this thing, um, and how many times does he say, uh, Peter says, how many times should I forgive? And what number does Peter throw out? Okay, now for a hard question. Why did Peter say seven? Okay, this is a number for perfection, so he's a little bit of teacher's pet action going on, right? Why else? Why else do you think he might have picked seven? Yes. Okay, right. In the Old Testament, Genesis, Cain was offended seven times. So there's some biblical Old Testament alliteration about that. Um, but what happened was there's this rabbinical teaching that says if someone offends you, you only, have to, you only have to forgive them three times. So Peter, being teacher's pet, goes over and above it, not only doubles it, but lays down seven times. Yeah. So... Trick question, how many times does Jesus say, no, 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 not seven? How many times do you really have to forgive him? Is it 77? Is it what? Seven times seven. Who's a math major? What's seven times seven? 490? 49. No, that's 70 times seven. Okay, so did you know that it's, it doesn't, no one knows what it means? It's an idiom. It's a Jewish thing. So is it seven times seven? 70 times seven? Well, that's what your Bible says. I, my Bible says 77. So it doesn't matter because the deal is, it, is Jesus saying we only have to forgive 49 times or 490 times or 77 times? Who can raise their hand and tell me how many times Jesus really wants us to forgive? Every time. Yeah, trick question. So you guys are doing great. Okay. All right, so here we go. So Jesus, to clarify this point, he's, he lays it out and says, all right, I'm going to tell you a story about a king. Who's the king in this story? Come on, we're at church. Who's the king? God. Okay, good. You guys are great. So good. Okay, so the king is God. Who are the servants? We are. Well, no, we're the good servants. Who's the wicked servant? That's what we really want to find out, right? Okay, so he goes to the wicked servant, and, uh, and that's, sorry, he's not wicked yet, and uh, he owes this guy, this servant owes a lot of money. How much money does he owe? Look at your Bible. Everyone's Bible says something different here. Raise your hand if you, mine says tens of thousands of what? Tens of thousands of talents. Who, what else? Yes? 10,000 bags of gold. How big is a bag? I don't even know. Who else? Does someone have something different? 
Yeah, look at the study Bible on the app. 20 years of wages is, is a talent. Okay, so here's the deal. A talent, 20 years of wages, a bag of gold. No one knows what that means. That just helps us done Americans go, that sounds like a lot of money. So 10,000 was a mirror, and that was, that was the biggest Greek number at the time. So it was the biggest Greek number with the biggest Greek amount of money at the time. So basically, Jesus is saying, a servant owes a gazillion dollars. Okay, you, you track them, a gazillion dollars is how much you're saying. Okay, so then the servant, he goes... Uh, to this king, and what does he say to the king? Yeah, help me, take pity on me. And what does the king do? Who knows? This is easy. He forgives. Yeah. And, uh, and if you're the servant, you're like, ooh, man, kill him. Dang it. What is it? Ooh, kill him. Dang it. I missed it. That's okay. It happens. Okay. He's fired up. Right? You had a gazillion dollars. Can you imagine being a servant and even owning a gazillion dollars? No. But he had a gazillion dollars. He's forgiven you'd be pretty excited, right? You'd be pumped. Okay, so then his buddy comes on and his buddy owes him some money. Look at your Bible. Everyone's Bible says something different. How much money does the Bible, does, does the buddy owe him? What are some different numbers we have? I'm sorry, what? A hundred denarii. How much is a hundred denarii? Silver coins? This is what, yeah? A few dollars. So a silver denarii, it depends. So one commentator said it's like 20 bucks and like another commentator 20 years later says it's like... $30,000. So there's like inflation. Who knows? But the bottom line is, is it a lot or a little? A little. The, right? One guy owes a ton, one guy owes a little. You guys are tracking. And how does the servant, how does the servant respond? And chokes him. So cool. Okay. So he chokes him. Okay. So you're tracking with this. All right. We're almost done here. Then his buddies look around and go, you are a dirtball, and tells the master, again, who's the king in this? God. God. Brings him to the king, and, uh, and what, is the, what is the king's response? Tortures him. Yeah. Sends him to jail uh, for everything. And why is the king so mad? Who wants to take a stab at this? Why is the king so mad? Someone raise your hand. The servant's a hypocrite, right? That's part of it. Yeah, he was shown mercy and didn't show it in. And what would you say if you had to say the moral of the story is? How would you finish that sentence? Someone way in the back. Do unto others. That's kind of, right? Which, how did God do unto us? If the moral of the story is, Dick, you're pretty smart. What is it? Yeah, forgive others as you've been forgiven. Yeah, he gave the ultimate gift that God has been ridiculously generous in his forgiveness of us. We owe an unlimited amount of money, and God has been ridiculously generous with us. So therefore, we should be ridiculously generous in our forgiveness towards others, right? Okay, look at us, hanging out in church, doing a little Bible study. Me, tell me, I spent like six hours reading three different commentaries, and they all said the exact same thing. So, it is not a hard saying of Jesus. It is actually an incredibly simple teaching of Jesus. God has been ridiculously generous in forgiving us. Therefore, we should be ridiculously generous towards others. That makes sense in my head, but I don't know about you, when what we're going to spend the rest of our time unpacking is how do you do it? If that makes sense in my head, why is it then so hard to forgive? Because we don't really get that we've been forgiven gazillions, 
At least I don't. And because we don't, we can't forgive as generously. So why is it so hard to forgive? Well, this, as I was thinking about it, basically it's this. Forgiveness, we think of forgiveness as just getting over it. Right? The king, he just got over it. Most people in our life, we live in a pretty civil context, you know, and most people, if they, they, they mildly offend us, and we think, how do I forgive them? Well, we get over it. But if you think of it this way, forgiveness is really the canceling of debt, right? You, you owe someone something, and if you're going to forgive it, you have to, forgiving is a canceling of the debt. There is this debt that has to be paid. There is this thing that is broken that has to get fixed. And either the person who offended, the person who broke it is going to fix it, or the other person has to absorb it. In this story, the king, he, he absorbed that money right? That money just didn't go away. He absorbed that loss, right? So forgiveness is about canceling debt. And, uh, and I think we forget that forgiveness is always equated with a cost. If we are going to forgive someone or someone's going to forgive us, there is a true and real cost associated with that. And so we think of cost, we think of wealth. And if you think about it this way, the, wealthy we, the wealthier we are, the easier it is to forgive, the more poverty we are, the more that we are in poverty, the harder it is to forgive. Now, I'm going to show you this amazing, beautiful truck. This is an F-150, 1988 status. I think it's awesome. Well, my uncle had one just like this. And uh, when I was 12, uh, my, mo- my mom's family lives down in Imperial Valley on a ranch, and they grow alfalfa. And so I got to play with really big, cool, dangerous things my whole life and swim in canals and, you know, the kind of stuff farm kids do. And I was the suburban kid, and I would go and live it up on the farm. But every summer we'd go down, and uh, my cousin, he grew up on the farm, and so he actually knew how to drive trucks. He's 12. He drove trucks, drove ATVs, drew tra- drove tractors. I'm the suburban kid. I got soft hands. I never had to do any of that kind of stuff. And, um, but one Easter, we're down there, and uh, he's like, let's go drive. I'm like, yeah, of course we're going to go drive. So he gets in the drives, me, I, get, I pull up next to so Imagine, who's 12? Are, are any of our junior highs here? What are you guys, 12? Is that you? All right, stand right up. That's what I'm talking about. Driving an F-150. Thanks, homie. Okay. All right. So we pile in. We're cruising around, driving around my, my, my ranch, going through the sand dunes. Like, oh, we're so awesome. We're listening to, like, you know, the Beatles, because that's what my uncle had, the tape he had in there. We're like, yeah, it's so awesome. We're cruising around, having a great time. And, uh, well, we get out as far as we can get. My cousin goes, do you want to drive? Well, duh. Yeah, of course I want to drive. So we switch seats. We're cranking the tunes. I'm driving. Like, this is so awesome. We're having a great time. Well, we pull back into the, into the, the lot in front of my grandma's farm, and uh, there's, a, there's a house, a big open area, and then a shop behind us. And I'm like, he's like, all right, just go park it in the shop. I'm like, yeah, totally. So I pull it in, whip it in reverse, forget to look behind me because I'm 12. I didn't know you had to look behind you. And I'm driving, and I'm driving. All of a sudden, <laughs> And the truck stopped, and I'm hitting the gas. Like, the truck is not moving. And uh, we both freak out. We go out, we look around, and the tailgate, of course, was down for whatever reason because my uncle was probably working on unloading things, stuff. And I took the tailgate and made it into a triangle. And it, I just I hit the pylon on the, uh, on, the, on the shop and just blew up the back of his truck. Blew it up, and we're freaking out. My uncle, I mean, he's a farmer. He is tall big old gray beard, hat with the sweat rings, you know, the big old man hands with the gnarly knuckles. Like, you do not mess with this guy. My dad, not so much. This guy, he's scared of him. And we're like, we got to go talk to my uncle. And um, so we go and we talk to my uncle and we're like, uh, we kind of took your truck and crashed it, you know, freaking out, thinking like, how many lashings are we going to get for this thing? And, uh, you know, it's like, I've been way busted for way less stuff. And my uncle just goes, 
okay, I forgive you guys. And we're like, what? How does that happen? But it happens because when he looks at us, how's a tw- what kind of yelling at a 12-year-old is going to pay $3,000, right? Yelling at, I don't, know, I don't have any money. 3,000 bucks, he's not going to make my mom pay it, right? That's a ton of money. And so him to forgive me was a true cost of $3,000. He had to, some, that $3,000 had to come from somewhere. So to forgive me, it came out of his pocket. Does that make sense? There was an offense, something, there was a debt. And if he was going to forgive me, he took that debt on himself. Does that make sense? Now, there's a, there's a monetary debt that we totally get, but there's this emotional debt, right? I, his nephew and his, his own son, basically took his truck and drove it around. And because he's, he's done way worse stuff when he was a kid, he told us about it. Um, he's like, ah, oh, you're a dumb kid and whatever. But I'm his nephew, you know? And so the emotional weight of his dumb nephew taking his car, it's like, okay, whatever, right? There's not a huge emotional weight, a little bit, but a little, not as much, right? But if we were 17 and we stole it and drove across the border and bought drugs and like got STDs or whatever, right? That's a whole different deal. <laughs> like the emotional weight of that is way different. If I would have backed the truck up and drove over his younger daughter, right, the emotional weight is so much. And we think of forgiveness, think, oh, just get over it. But the weight is so much, right? It's $3,000. It could be overwhelming. And so we think of it that forgiveness is about canceling debt. And so how do we cancel debt? Well, the reality is, is we have to get wealthy, um, we need to get wealthy. So how do we get wealth, wealthy? Now, financially, it makes sense. Get a job, right? If uh, I want to buy something, uh, I got to get a job. I got to save up. I got to invest my money. Uh, if I get too uh, out of control and sideways because my credit card, people gave me too much extra money. I got all this money. I got this debt, right? If, I, if I'm wealthy and I got a debt on my credit card, I just pay it off. If I'm not that wealthy and I have a debt on my credit card, right, I have to kind of chip away at it. That's like the world we live in. It makes sense. That's how the financial world works. I'm always waiting for Capital One to call me up and go, Ben, I have forgiven your debt. Go forgive others. I'm like, awesome. That'd be so great. Capital One has never done that yet. I'm waiting. Someday they might. Okay, but we get that financially. Financially, it makes sense. The wealthier we are, the easier it is to cancel debt. If we have a big financial debt, there's a system, right? We pay it off. And the exact same true is emotionally. Now, because we live in Marin County and we're all, you know, trying to become better people, we get, there's a financial part. We understand money doesn't buy happiness. So what do we do? We all go into therapy because we got to figure it out. And the cool thing about therapy, right, is basically we're trying to get emotionally healthy. We're trying, like in a, a way, a job is an investment in our financial portfolio. Therapy is, right, the thing that is an investment in our emotional portfolio. It helps us become emotionally healthy. Because if we're emotionally wealthy, when someone wrongs us, we're, we're, we're wealthy, right? It's easy to forgive them. It's easier to forgive them when we've actually done this work and we actually have a sense of ourselves and our brokenness and we start saying things out loud and all that kind of good stuff. It's, it's part of what we do. And uh, if someone's really wronged you, if someone's wronged you deeply, and someone says, get over it, right? You're like, uh, I don't think so. Like I've had people in my life, the, the, the longest so far has been 10 years. It's taken me 10 years to forgive somebody, this one person. That's a long time. And I've been, I was a pastor during that time. I loved Jesus at the time. Jesus forgives me a gazillion. But I can't forgive this person. It takes so long to forgive. Because emotionally, right, I didn't have the emotional wealth to be able to forgive that debt. I couldn't absorb that. So I had to like chip away at it and chip away at it and chip away at it. And the cool thing about therapy is the whole deal is like they just want you to chip away at it. 
that expectation is that you've been wronged and you must forgive this debt, that's a wrong, um, that's a wrong paradigm. We want to become more and more wealthy so we can be more and more generous in our forgiveness. And we get that financially, we kind of get that emotionally, but we often at the very last, at the last resort, there's, oh, there's this spiritual component. There's a spiritual wealth that informs my forgiveness. Um, and what I think is really interesting is this, this spiritual wealth um, that actually puts all those other wealths in perspective. Um, it's interesting, uh, two awful stories. Uh, one of them, let me see here, is this guy Mike Reynolds in 1992. Um, his daughter went to dinner um, somewhere in Fresno. Some random person came up and killed his daughter. And the person who killed his daughter was on parole, just got out of prison for, for two awful crimes he committed. And he's like, you know what? Fresno, we're tired of all the jokes. We're tired of all the murder. And he got this whole California deal up to say, we are going to end this once and for all. There needs to be justice. This wrong that happened to my daughter, I don't want anyone else to do it. And uh, he was the guy who basically got the three strikes rule uh, here in California. And now, 10 years later, almost everybody gets that the three strikes rule is the most devastating, unjust laws. That's my own personal opinion. We'll talk more politics later, Ron. But it's an incredibly unjust law that has devastated communities. But it came out of this justice thing because no one else should have to experience this. And anyone who's done therapy, anyone who's like worked on this idea with forgiveness is if you can't forgive somebody, you end up just, it's this weight. It's this thing that just tears on you and wrecks you. And this guy, he tried to find some legislative way to, 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 um, to fulfill that, right? To put that away. And in the process, he like thrashed um, our, our prison system and thrashed communities. And even more than that, worse than that, he thrashed his family. He kept trying to find some way to satisfy this forgiveness because I could not even imagine the debt, right? That debt of the awful thing that happened to his daughter. What do you do with that? To not have the wealth and the reserves to know we, ha- we act out in all these other ways, right? Now, um, 10 years before that, um, oh, maybe it wasn't 10 years before that. Just kidding. It was in t- uh, 2006. But you might remember the story out in Pennsylvania. There was a mass murderer who went into this Amish schoolhouse and wrecked shop, killed 12 girls, then killed himself. One of the most horrific news stories of all time. But what was weird about it it was this Amish community. And the way they responded was, we have to forgive them. We have to show mercy to them. We have to show mercy to, can you imagine this person's mom? Because the guy killed himself, so he's off the scene. But the mom, could you imagine? And this whole community rallied around this mom and this family and loved them. And so the real question is, how do we do that? Those people get that Jesus has forgiven them a gazillion and could forgive others. And I think the reason they could do that is because they were a part of a spiritual community where they were wealthy. The wealth of their spiritual community, of their personal spiritual walks, allowed them to walk through that. Now, no one's saying, oh, it was easy. No, forgiveness isn't easy. That cost, that debt had to go somewhere. But because they were so rich spiritually, they were actually able to forgive, right? And our wealth spiritually impacts and informs our wealth emotionally and impacts our wealth financially. It impacts everything. And so many people deal with finances first and then emotions and then maybe spiritual stuff. But God's call in our life is that we flip that upside down. We start with understanding the spiritual world in which we live. That's where we begin. And that reality informs everything. And if you have your Bible still open or you're still tweeting people, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. It says this. 
From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do no, no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation is gone, has come. Sorry, The old is gone and the new is here. All this is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation, and we therefore are Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I love this passage of Scripture. Jesus, who had no sin, took on our sin. All of the dumb choices we've made, all the dumb things we've done, all the ways we've crushed people, Jesus took all of that. That sin had to go somewhere, right? You don't just throw it away. We're marine people. We don't pollute. That has to go somewhere. Jesus took all of that on him. He, forgiveness isn't this thing you get over it. That forgiveness cost God his son. If you're like, this sin's not a big deal. No, it cost Jesus something real and tangible. It cost him his life. He became unrighteous so we could become righteous. So therefore we have become new creations. We are no longer these broken, messed up, insecure, messed up people who just go around wrecking people all the time. That's who we used to be. But in Christ, we are new creations. We are brand new. It says that Christ no longer holds our sin against us. Imagine, imagine the last fight you had with a friend or your spouse. Oh man, you, it's brutal. To get back in right relationship, it is hard. And especially if you've been in a rhythm of fighting, it is way hard. And you go through a season of fighting, it is way hard. Can you imagine if one day your spouse or your good friend is just like, I am not going to hold you being dumb against you anymore. (laughs) All that stuff that happened this last month, six months, year, I am not going to hold that against you. Could you imagine? You would freak out. You'd be like, oh, this is the best. We're like going to make out tonight. This is awesome, right? This was, that would be in you. And God is saying in Jesus, I am no longer holding your sin against you. I'm not holding it against you. You are forgiven people. You are new people. And therefore, go and extend that to others. Carry on the ministry of reconciliation. What's wild is our world does not get forgiveness at all. We hold grudges. We blow up friendships. We blow up marriages. We blow up everyone around us. We blow up our server at lunch. We do not get forgiveness. And only the the most enlightened, self-reflective, therapy-mastered people go, oh, maybe I need to find some way to deal with this because it's a a noose around my neck. And we can save $10,000 in that. We probably should still go to therapy, but you can at least save $10,000 to get that we are to forgive. And when we offer forgiveness, it is true light. No one gets it. Someone wrongs you and you can be gracious and forgive them. You are reconciling people. You are reconciling relationship and you're ultimately helping them reconcile to God. But we need to own that that costs us something because I think we think we just get over it and we put it in a deep, dark place in our heart. We need to know that when people wrong us, it costs. Sometimes it costs us dearly. So we need to own that. And if we do not have the spiritual 
and emotional health to actually forgive them, well, then we need to invest in our spiritual walk. And the last point is just really simply, we have to go to the bank. And that's what coming to church is. We come to church, we come and we gather and we worship, we sing songs to God, we think about and we retell the story of who God is to go back to the bank to realize, I am incredibly wealthy. Yesterday I didn't feel wealthy and so I just wrecked shop. But today I'm reminded that God has bestowed gazillions of dollars on me. Every riches, all the riches that he has, every spiritual blessing is mine in Christ. I am a co-heir in Christ. All of that is on me. I am a forgiven and reconciled new creation in God. That's what I get. And because of that, all the little things that are going to happen to me, all those things that will cost me, I can hold that intention to the dramatic way that God has forgiven me. And so we have to go to the bank. And if you are wrecked because of people in your life who you have not forgiven yet, and most of us are, but we're good Christian people, so we keep it way down low. We have to go to the bank. Some of us have stuff we can't forgive ourselves. There's stuff that's gone on in us and around us, and we're like, how do I forgive myself? And we need to just deal with God and realize we are forgiven. Jesus is saying, that stuff, I do not hold that against you any longer. You need to become wealthy to see your true wealth, to see your true value, so you can be the whole person that I have for you. So some of you need to just deal with God, understand his forgiveness, ask for forgiveness, re-again soak up his forgiveness and figure out how wealthy you are. Some of us have that person or people or group of people who have wronged us so deeply and we need to forgive them. And God, maybe this morning, has re-put them on your heart that, God has forgiven you gazillions and maybe you need to forgive them. And yes, it is costly, but maybe it's time for another chance, another stab at forgiving them. But we have to own that as wealth. It's costly. And if it's too costly, that's our indication that we have to invest in our spiritual life and in our emotional health so we can be the whole people that God has called us to be. So what we're going to do this morning uh, in your bulletin is a piece of paper. I'm going to invite the band up and the ushers to come forward. Um, we're just going to have a few minutes to be quiet, to think about, you got to go to the bank. What kind of withdrawal do you need? What do you need from God? What do you need to confess and to leave here this morning so you can be free from? Because the truth of the capital T is God no longer is holding that against you. So maybe once again, you need to write it down and leave it here. Maybe there's someone in your world that you're like, I'm going to take one more stab. I think I have enough wealth. or I'm going to take one more debt payment to forgive that person. And maybe in an act of obedience, you'd write their name down and you would leave it up here as another investment, another debt payment towards forgiveness and towards wholeness. So let me pray for us. If you need a pen, the ushers will have a little pen for you. And uh, at any point during this next song, if you want to come and put that up on these tables, that'd be great. And then we'll be all done. Heavenly Father and our gracious God, I thank you that you love us and have forgiven us a gazillion. And I confess I have no idea what that means. I do not get it. But at least for me, the message that I need to hear from myself, from you, is I need to do the investment, the spiritual work, God, so that I can be spiritually whole, spiritually wealthy, so that I can forgive the way you forgave me. 
You are dangerously generous with us. God, may we, your people, be dangerously generous with one another. Amen.